0: the band Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion on Monster Kid Radio before and we're playing them again on episode 244 because they've got a new release this is the song Straight to Darkness it's from their new EP Boss Metal Zone you can find them over at ghostscorpion.bandcamp.com after you're done listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio the podcast devoted to the classic and sometimes not so classic genre cinema of yesteryear I'm your host writer producer Derek M. Cook. I'm happy to have you here because we are going to talk about a movie that, well, okay, there's some weird time travel stuff happening here. You see, a few months ago, I got together with podcaster Christopher Page. He's one of the podcasters behind Orphaned Entertainment, which is one of my favorite podcasts. He's also involved in things like Time Shifters. Anyway, I got him on... Time, there's that thing again. Anyway... Back in August, I got together with him online and we talked about the 1960 film, The Time Machine. You're going to hear him say that this is one of his favorite films. And I got to tell you, it's a good one. Why have I been sitting on it for so long? Well, I'd like to say that I was doing some sort of crazy time travel thing, recording it in August, releasing it in November. But the truth is, September was already booked. October was Halloween, so I wanted to do Monsters and things like that. Well, Christopher, thank you for being patient. And I hope, listeners, you enjoy the conversation that he and I had a few months ago about the time machine. We're going to get to that right after this.
1: What is the eerie secret behind the seven faces of Dr. Lau? Do they come from another world, or are they just one mysterious being? More unusual pictures are made You may be sure George Powell will make them His War of the Worlds, Time Machine And Destination Moon Are now joined by the strange and fascinating Adventures of Dr. Lau And his amazing companions You wish your future told
2: How do you do? The name is Merlin I am the greatest magician The world has ever known <laughs>
3: Hi there Do I look familiar to you
1: what in the world is a
3: medusa a medusa dear heart is a creature with snakes on her head and
4: uh, if you look at her face you turn to stone i'll show
1: her what kind of oriental hocus pocus is going on around here i sir am a major mystery out of nowhere he came a mysterious stranger And for those he opposed or defended, life was never again the same. This town ain't big enough for you and me, partner. A magician, surely. But one who made his magic with such things as love's young dream and the fun in a little boy's heart. Here truly is entertainment for all ages.
2: I was born in the year 1204. I am 7,000. 322 years old. I'm eight
5: going online.
1: Here is the mysterious beauty of the Far East and the roaring action of the Far West. The thrill spectacle of the city that never was and the most fabulous fish story in history. A
3: genuine bona fide sea serpent. In the water, he is small, insignificant, petite, but out of the water and he doubles his size every 10 seconds until he reaches his full growth.
1: Just imagine a sea monster who can't stand the water. How about
3: that? Oh, oh, I got him. Oh, I got him. That's <laughs> chug.
5: Hey, comic book fans, I'm Joe Stuber, producer and host of Comic Book Central, where each and every week I welcome a legendary talent to the Comic Book Central lair to talk about bringing comic books to life.
3: Greetings, true believers. This is Stan Lee.
5: When do you think the Academy is going to wise up and create a special Oscar category for best cameo? I
4: don't know. They're just asleep on their feet. Maybe your show, maybe this interview will be the turning point.
0: Hi, this is Jamie Alexander, the Asgardian warrior Sif from Thor.
3: I went to Marvel. They said, hey, sit down, we want to talk to you about this part. So what happened was I had a knife in my purse. I set the purse on the chair and it fell off, and the knife fell out, and then they were like, oh, God, you really are Lady (laughs) Sif.
5: Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the one, the only, William Shatner. There's all these rumors out there that you're going to be in the next Star Trek film.
4: Well, i like to be in it. You know, I don't want to be a gratuitous character. Like like scrubbing the uh, the windows on the
5: Enterprise or something? There's a guy on the wing. Chris Pine. There's a guy on the (laughs) wing. Chris Pine
3: says, there's a guy on the wing.
5: (laughs) Catch the very latest episodes at the website, comicbookcentral.net. Subscribe to the show on iTunes, like it on Facebook, follow it on Twitter, and be sure to join me each and every week for Comic Book Central. This is John Reese davis
3: Hi, everyone. This is Summer Glau. Hi, this is Trisha Helfer, number six
4: from Battlestar Galactica.
6: Hey, this is Dean Kane, Superman from Lois and Clark, and you're listening to Comic Book Central. Where comic books come to
2: life. Excelsior. Excelsior. <laughs>
1: is the dangerous way station on the road to the planets, the jumping off place for the fantastic rocket ship built in outer space. <laughs> yes, you'll be out of this world through every stirring moment of conquest of space. You'll live the strange, topsy-turvy life of men who live as no other men have lived before. Evacuate Section
4: 34.
1: Not tomorrow, not next year, but sometime before the year 2000 A.D., this amazing event will take place. And now you will be part of it. Rocketing beyond the horizon of our time to join the greatest human adventure of all time.
0: Radio, I'd like to welcome back to the show Christopher Page from Orphaned Entertainment, the podcast devoted to public domain media and films. And I play the promo quite a bit because I listen to the podcast quite a bit. Christopher, welcome back to Monster Kid Radio.
6: Thank you very much, Derek, and thank you for playing that promo. I know we have uh, increased our. Listenership and our group members at our Facebook page uh, by a few number, thanks to you and your your promo. So it it is much appreciated, and I'm thrilled to be back on Monster Kid Radio.
0: Hey man, I just point them in your direction. You're the one that keeps them. So
6: (laughs) it is always nice when we we see someone that I know. I've seen the name pop up over on the Monster Kid page, or or I've I've heard a voicemail from on another podcast, and then they come to the Facebook and, "Oh, you guys are killing it! You're doing great!" Like ah, that's it's awesome to hear. Right on.
0: (laughs) <laughs> right on. That's awesome. No, I love the show. It's one of my favorites. So I, I love I listening it. to, uh, you know, well, you know, it's, it's older movies typically. It's some of the more obscure stuff from the past. And I'm really into sure. older movies these days. So it definitely, uh, gets me going and keeps me going through the day. So thanks. I appreciate all the work you do and thank you for taking the time to appear on my show.
6: Oh, absolutely. I've been waiting to, to get back on. I tell you, you're addicting. you're on monster (laughs) kid once you just want you just want more you want another hit
0: (laughs) well it's been too long and i'm glad that you made the time to be on the show uh Uh, i see what i did there. uh. (laughs) yeah we are going to talk about a non-public domain film something that you love you've told me that this is one of your favorite films it
6: is absolutely i mean I told you it was probably in my top five favorites. Wow. And at at any time that someone would ask me what my top five are, there's probably ten films uh, (laughs) that would go in the top five.
0: And then you ask me the next day and I change them all up. Yeah, yeah, I know.
6: Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But this one would definitely always be literally in the top five. It is one of my favorite films. It's just it's a film I grew up loving and I've just always loved it.
0: Wow. We are, of course, talking about the 1960 film, The Time Machine, directed by George Powell starring rod taylor wow yes what a great film
6: isn't it how many times when was the first time you saw this film Derek? is this one that you've always seen or is this kind of a recent viewing for you
0: so with a lot of these older films i love them all and i'm familiar with most of them but when it comes to sitting down to do a start to finish dedicated viewing There are a lot in that category where I know the movie, I've seen bits and pieces, but I've never put them all together. This is one that I've not seen start to finish, I mean, before recording for this, to be completely honest with you. Wow, okay, cool. I mean, I've seen the beginning, I've seen the end, I've seen all the pieces here and there. Right. It's a time travel film, and I love time travel movies. So mm-hmm. I'm, I'm very familiar with the scenes. I've seen scenes and bits and pieces here. I've heard the Rod Taylor narration from the beginning. You know, I've seen the opening credits. I've seen the, just to put it all together in one dedicated viewing. This was the first time for me and wow. I don't know why I waited so long.
6: Oh, awesome. Well, I'm so happy to hear that. That's, that's really just awesome. Yeah. Um, it, yeah, it's just one of those films that you see it. I probably first time I ever saw it was probably just on like TV you know, on a Saturday afternoon. I don't know if I told this story here on Monster Kid. I'm, I'm sure I've mentioned it on, on other podcasts, but they, our local uh, UHF station here used to be fantastic at just finding anything to throw on Saturday afternoons to fill the time. That's where my love for science fiction and monster movies and you know, Godzilla and whatever probably came from. And so this was just one, another one of those films that was on that channel. And so nice. it sticks with you though. You, you, you watch it, you have these scenes, and then it's something that you, oh, the time machine, you, you find it on VHS or whatever, and you watch it again, you go, oh, I, I remember that scene. It's just one of those movies that is so vibrant and just fun. It's just it, You see it once, and it sticks with you. Even if you just see it like you did with bits and pieces, it all sticks with you no matter how long down the road you go.
0: Right. I think the most recent time I had any kind of encounter with the film I was watching on TCM last year, and I was flipping through channels, and I came in at about the halfway point. So of course, I stopped and watched it all. <laughs> watched gotcha. it to the end. Yeah, mm-hmm. and you're right. It is vibrant. It's colorful.
6: I think it was filmed in Metro color. Metro color. <laughs> yeah, back when all the studios had their own uh, color palettes. <laughs> oh, it looks film great. Processing.
0: Mm-hmm. Oh, it, it's a gorgeous looking film, and. Just the way they did the production design and the way everything was lit, it just feels, you, know, you said vibrant. I think that's the best word. I can't think of a better one.
6: Well, it is a George Powell film. I mean, True. if you watch other George Powell films, I mean, there is a certain signature to them, I think. You know, this is certainly a, a fantastic example of it.
0: I've talked about some George Powell films in the past here on Monster Kid Radio. I think War of the Worlds is probably one of the most well known.
6: Yeah, another one of my favorites, too. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. He does have a very distinct look. I'm not sure where that comes from. I don't know much about his background. I know he was European, mm-hmm. and he had some animation in his background, but that's about all I know about Al's history.
6: Yeah, he was an animator to begin with. He kind of came over the States, developed puppet tunes, and a very uh, specific type of uh, animation with the puppets by using, I, I forget exactly what he called it, but effectively it was, um, instead of constantly reforming and, and whatever with faces, you just have different, essentially Mr. Potato head of, of uh, animation. <laughs> you just keep switching bits and pieces of the body. So if he needed his arm up, then you would put the arm up piece on. And then if he needed a smile, then you'd put the face with the smile on and he got, he developed that and it worked. And you see a little bit of his animation here in, in, uh, uh, the time machine. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's where he got his beginning. And then he moved into the, the film direction and it's just, I, I don't know what it is either. I, I think it's just, yeah, it's just a George Powell thing.
0: <laughs> <laughs> no, it's a very clear, distinct aesthetic that mm-hmm. I respond to really well.
6: I think it helps too, that in the time that he was making the films uh, again, like I said, you know, in, in fantastic Metro color or whatever it was called, <laughs> it was just the type of film processing. It was all very, vibrant very bright and i think that really helps and that kind of helped kind of seal his his signature Mm -hmm. a little bit maybe because i think you're talking uh war of the worlds same way he despite the fact that a good portion of the film takes place at night it's still a very bright and bold color palette film yeah the time machine is the same way uh when worlds collide i think is a george powell yes Another fantastic I, – I think I just – I like George Powell films. I imagine a good many of my ten top five films <laughs> would, be, would be George Powell
0: films. They all have this great look, this great color. I think you nailed it when you talked about how even though film might take place at night – there's still the pops of color. There's still that production design that stands out and makes the film just a real treat to watch. You can't help but just get lost in the color, and the time machine has that in spades. Everything down to the design of the time machine itself, with the flashing lights at the front, the way he does the lighting when the time machine's being activated, it just looks good, and it's such a a joyous ride. I know that our main character runs into some pretty horrific things you know world war and air raid sirens and all that but it's right. still a, a joyful adventure to the whole thing mhm
6: despite it all i mean even though he goes to the future and deals with what would become called world war 1 and everything he's still just amazed at all the stuff that's gone on the 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 advancements and that that man's achieved the skyscrapers he is it's like watching a kid in a candy
0: store yes Yes. And I want to go back to that candy store again and again. I know this is not going to be the first time I sit down to watch it start to finish. I'm, I'm no, going to go back and watch it more than once. Cause this, this was a lot of fun for me. And we're, we're giving a lot of credit to George Powell, but sure without Rod Taylor to take us along on the journey. I mean, he's just great in this.
6: Oh, he does. I think he does a fantastic job. This is probably the only film I knew Rod Taylor from for a long time. And yeah. then I saw the, he was in the birds. Mm-hmm. which I finally caught up and watched that, but even that was a good... Ten- I, I'm not real familiar with a lot of Rod Taylor films. I'm actually kind of going back and just even just recently decided I would start kind of filling in those gaps, because I, I think he's great. I think he does a fantastic job in this. I loved him in The Birds, mm-hmm. and there was another film I saw him in, and I was like, oh, wow, that's the guy from The Time Machine, but I can't, for the life of me, uh, remember what it was,
0: but I remember being really impressed with his performance in that one, too. He's done quite a bit. He was working up until, what, 2009 or so? He was in the Tarantino film, wasn't he, in Glorious Bastards?
6: He was, indeed. He only just passed away earlier this year, I think.
0: Yeah, unfortunately, we just lost him. But he did a lot. He was working a lot. He is charismatic, and he brought me along on this journey. And I wanted to hang out with him and and spend more time with him. I'm disappointed that at the end, and I know we're getting way ahead of it here, but at the very end of the film – he leaves us behind. We don't get to go back to the future with him. I mean, it's no. It's like, nah, man, I want to go with you. <laughs> yeah, he seems like a, a guy that you would want to hang out with. He yeah. just would
6: be... Really interesting and just fun. And I, obviously, he's the, the character in the film, George, is an incredibly intelligent person. Mm-hmm. Although, I, I don't know if I'd be able to sleep in that house with all those clocks ticking, but <laughs> know, maybe you get used to it.
0: Yeah, I'm thinking it might turn into one of those things where it kind of lulls you to sleep, I would hope, kind of like white noise in the background. Yeah, maybe. maybe. Uh, I don't know. That's a lot of clocks.
6: Yeah, I, I just hope those bells, those alarms have the uh, nighttime setting so they don't go. On,
0: they're not going <laughs> off at three a.m. There you go. I had forgotten that there was somebody else in this movie that I saw a lot of in the evening on Nick at Night. Oh yeah, I forgot that Wilbur was in this movie. <laughs> Alan Young, yeah, from Mister Ed.
6: <laughs> yep, Mister Ed, voice of Scrooge McDuck.
0: Oh, that's right. Yeah. And I totally spaced that he was in this and that he does the accent. And I mean, he's great. He's brilliant. And his
6: uh, David Philby character and George, their friendship in this film, I, I think, is one of the main reasons, despite all the gorgeous look, despite the special effects or the adventure. I think the friendship between George and David that's probably the, one of the biggest reasons I like this film. Yeah. It's just so great. I love Alan Young in this movie and I love the friendship that he has for George in this. It's a, it's a friendship without bounds. I mean, no matter what David Philby will stand by George, no matter what George does. And I think that's just fantastic. I mean, and we, we get to see it as George goes through his trip through time, just how far David's Philby friendship goes. And I think that's, it's just fantastic. They have some fantastic scenes together. And yeah, it's just one of the greatest moments of this film is their discussion and Philby trying to reason with George and that all that whole, you know, this machine can do what you say it can destroy it before it destroys you. Yeah, I love it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I love their chemistry. They have a very deep relatable chemistry i mean we all have really close deep friends at least i hope we do and i know that i've got a few people in my life that i could look at and say yes you're my wilbur although that would be weird <laughs> so you'll be my philby how about that <laughs> or i'll go. be your Phil- i don't know something but yeah the, the relationship is really deep and it's it's nice and it's heartwarming without getting creepy and it's just really uh i don't know is philby the audience stand in here is is Philby filling in for us? Do we want to be the Philby in the movie?
6: Maybe. I think probably more Philby than anybody, than anyone else, because his other friends are a little bit more of the, well, that's nice, but got to go. And so Philby's the one that stands by. So I think he's the one that we want to be. I don't know if that's the if he's the one that we would always be, but he's the one we want to be.
0: <laughs> true, true. Yeah, a couple of his other friends just seem very dismissive. And yeah, I, I was a little much. surprised that our lead character would, I don't know, consider these guys close friends.
6: It is a little surprising, although you could tell that they, between themselves, were, were friends. Pull out uh, George and Philby, mm-hmm. and then the other three that are there, Yeah. Uh, who would we have? Uh, well, the character Cabot, uh, Whit Dissel, and uh, Tom Helmore are the actors. Mm-hmm. Uh, you could tell that the, those three characters were more friends than maybe they were with... George and Philby.
0: Right. Yeah. Especially, uh, Dr. Hillier and Bridewell, the Cabot and Helmore characters. They seem to be pretty close, pretty tight. And then what Bissell's character, Walter Kemp, seemed to try to be the bridge between the two individual groups, but was still more with the other guys. And I mean, it's with right. Bissell. So, mm-hmm. you know, to me, what Bissell can do no wrong. I, he's one of yeah. my favorite character <laughs> actors. He's one of my act- favorite actors periods from these kinds of movies. Not just because he was in Creature from the Black Lagoon. Or I was a Teenage Frankenstein. Or I was a Teenage Werewolf. But I just love what he does. He <laughs> I knew do, his...
6: you'd be happy to see Whit Bissell in that. Oh, so yeah. I, I wasn't sure if you knew he was there or not.
0: Oh, yeah. No, I, he's he's the man. Whit Bissell doesn't get enough credit, if you ask me. So it was good to see him. And Sebastian Cabot, what a an accomplished actor in that voice. Oh, yeah, very much. His voice is just amazing.
6: And he does a great job as the character. I mean, he is the naysayer. He is the one that is trying to... I mean, it's just ah, oh, it's ridiculous, and oh, you're all fools, and don't you know this? He's the perfect actor for that role,
0: even though he's the one that activated the little model of the time machine. He still doesn't buy any of this. Exactly, he's the perfect non-believer. I liked him. I think of the four of them, five of them. Uh, the Tom Helmore character is the one that I have less of a grasp on.
6: Wasn't he the one that just always had the the glass of wine in his hand, or was that Will? <laughs>
0: That's right. Somebody did always have a glass of wine. It was always shaking. The hand yeah. was always shaking. Yes,
6: yeah. I believe that was he. Uh, he was the one that always had the the. the, the oh, oh yes. <laughs> and Missus Watchett is the finest cook. Oh well, yes, I think I'll drink to that. You know, yeah.
0: <laughs> is he the one that even comments on the cellar being very well stocked?
6: Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. Well, I did appreciate during the uh the scene where they have a little experiment with the model. He's got his little glass on, in his hand and the thing disappears. You see him set it down and just on the table and push it away.
0: That was like, a, nope,
6: nope, that's enough for me. A wonderful
0: piece of business right there. I loved that. Yes. That was great. Like that Yeah. <laughs> I like that quite a bit. This is a, a very male-centric cast. I mean, we do have a few female characters, you know, the, the housekeeper. And then, of course, we're going to meet Weena down the line. But for the most part, it's Rod's story. Yeah. You know, and, and that's okay. I mean, that's what the story is supposed to be. Have you read the original novel?
6: I have. It has been a long time, but no, I have read the original novel.
0: Do you remember where it differs, if it differs at all?
6: There's a lot of uh, differences, uh, certainly in when you get into the future the race of the Eloy are not just you know the Aryan dream of the blonde and
0: the blonde oh and blue boy. eyed yeah.
6: society <laughs> uh they're actually like a, a small diminutive race almost resembling if i remember right even almost resembling more of like the, the what we always think of like the alien grays oh really small not real uh but not human at all and that that's the probably the largest departure you know not speaking English. And that's probably the biggest departure between the, the novel and, and the film. And I'm sure there's many others. But like I said, it's
0: been a long time since I've read the the original book. That seems to make more scientific sense, that they would be small yeah. and kind of degenerated a little bit. Mm-hmm. As opposed to, as you called it, the Aryan dream. That's the best way to put it. <laughs> it really is. It's like the yeah. the children of the damned all grew up. It's, <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, works out well for Rod Taylor because you know, lots of – exactly. You know, pretty pretty blondes for him to pick from, I guess.
6: Exactly. And that is just – it's something that you have to accept because – you obviously in 1960, you wouldn't be able to tell, or even today, honestly, you wouldn't be able to tell that story and keep it that close to the novel. Which, well, which we saw in just a few years ago when they did the remake. They didn't. They, once again, it's just everyone's physically fit and handsome and beautiful and everything in the future, even you know, a millennia later. So,
0: well, and it helps to have the standard 1960s look of beauty. To contrast against the Morlocks, who look fantastic.
6: You like them? Really? Cool. Oh,
0: God, yes. They're amazing. And even before we get to see them in full, and you just see their outline, their silhouette, but the eyes Mm -hmm. are lighting up in the background, how creepy was that? And how amazing was that? Oh, man, those are good. I want Morlock action figures so bad.
6: No, I actually, honestly, it's been a while since I saw the film, but in kind of my mind's eye, I remember, I remember thinking that oh, one of the weak points was maybe the Morlock makeup. But actually, just just watching it the other night, I was watching, you know, it honestly isn't all that bad. No. I, I actually thought it was pretty good. And you're right, when they're just in the shadows and the silhouettes with the glowing eyes, it is, that's, that's some pretty creepy stuff.
0: That's when they look the best for me. Now, when you sure. start to see them more in full and daylight, yeah, it's a rubber suit. Yeah, you can kind of tell what's going on, but... You know, when they're holding it back a little bit and not giving us a full view, mm-hmm. they're creepy. They're great. Yeah, no, that's true. And again, they have the same color palette, too. They still have that George Powell look.
6: Yeah, I'm not sure about the, the skin tone thing. Thought I remember, I was trying to research to see if I can confirm it. I thought I read or heard once that the reason they, they went with the color palette that they did on their skin, because where they were kind of like a bluish green or something. Right. Mm-hmm. And. I thought I heard somewhere that it was, had something to do with if they were shown in black and white or something and, but I couldn't find anything to confirm it. I, I, I dug around all, all over the place online and couldn't find anything to confirm it. I did see some black and white stills where they look really great because they're just this real nasty, pasty, chalky skin is what they look like in black and white. And I, so I thought maybe the color had something to do with, um, being photographed or filmed in black and white but
0: couldn't find anything that makes sense so i mean mm-hmm. it makes a lot of sense because in black and white i bet they look amazing
6: if you, if you just google for some images uh you'll find a lot of black and white publicity stills and i think they look a lot better there in the pu- publicity stills because they have that the, the white hair and then their faces and their skins are real ashen and and chalky looking I think that looks really good. And that's just an old trick of of makeup artists, that that you want to have white and pale aren't always white and pale in real life, if you're going to do anything in black and white.
0: Right. I mean, go back and and look at some photos of Fred Gwynn as Herman Munster in color. And he doesn't look anything like you'd imagine him to look like in the black and white. It's this bright, very bright, vibrant-looking Frankenstein monster that looks awesome in black and white in the Munsters. But... Mm You know, you gotta do what you gotta do to make the makeup work and, and that sort of thing. I bet they looked amazing in black and white. I'm gonna have to do some Google searching. I'd love to see that. And I wonder how this movie would have played in black and white, even though it's a George Powell production who's known for this bright vibrant colors. I wonder if in black and white if it would add an edge of spooky to the whole thing.
6: Yeah, that is a good question. I think overall I'd be disappointed if it was done in black and white, but yeah, I think with just a little bit of a a, a change in lighting. Mm-hmm. Certainly in the in the Morlock lair, I think it definitely could have come across a little
0: edgier and creepier. hmm Which I respond to incredibly well. So mm-hmm. <laughs> give me my spooky, I'm good. <laughs> uh, we kind of danced around everybody in the movie. Uh you yeah, know, should we talk about Wino real quick? Do we know much yeah, about the to. actress? Yeah, we we should talk about the actress. Yvette Minou. Minou, okay. Mimou. Yes. Yvette Minou.
6: Very beautiful young woman. Uh, mm-hmm. Very young when she did this film. I think this was one of her
0: earliest roles, film roles. Oh wow!
6: And she went on and had a long. She's still with us as well,
0: I believe. Oh great! Yeah, she was eighteen when she did this. Yeah, but she had a uh, very long career. Well, I had seen her in something when I was growing up, without really knowing who she was or in relation to anything else. She was in the Black Hole for Disney. <laughs> yeah. Which There's I'm another ab- Disney. There's another <laughs> Disney connection. <laughs> there <for> you. <laughs> you go. You listening, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> I'm a big fan, an unapologetic fan of the Black Hole. I loved it as a kid, and I know you know it's got some issues, but I loved it as a kid, and I love it now.
6: No, I'm with you. That film, I think, is a little unappreciated. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, like you said, it, it has its flaws, but I think what it does right overshadows those flaws really well. Oh yeah, uh, that's that, that's a film that you kind of think, you know what, with maybe one more edit. <laughs> <laughs> on the script or something, you might have come up with something that would be more appreciated today.
0: Just just one more pass. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, one more pass. Well, don't give Disney any ideas about doing a special edition or anything. Okay, <laughs> just <laughs> let's go back a little bit further and go back to the time machine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, the time machine. She was what eighteen, seventeen when she was making the movie. Yes. She, for what she has to do, I think really shines. She does and part of it's because she 's so young, but she does capture the innocence oh yeah, absolutely the, the very naive innocence of the eloy without with having a, just a touch of sexuality yeah not not too much, not so much that I started to cringe when they when they did kiss, but there
6: is unfortunately, I think that the weak some of the weakest points script wise on this film, and it, i mean i 've got to point out one or two you know, weak spots, the one part that really I cringe over is involved with with Weena. I despise the the thing where she's sitting there and how do the women wear their hair? I'm like, oh. That
0: I just was weird. That seemed to come yeah. out of the blue for me.
6: Yeah, it comes out of the blue and it's just so it's just it's just not
0: good. No, it's <laughs> it's pretty I don't know. If it's stereotypical. It's just you're really just downplaying this female character with I, I don't know. It just felt really off. Well, it
6: doesn't make any sense.
0: Yeah, and where it came in the movie seemed odd too. That was a conversation that they could have had before the destruction of the Morlock Lair. <laughs> yeah, maybe. This, just saying.
6: They go to this all this trouble with some brilliant scenes mm-hmm. of depicting the Eloy as this very simple, no clue of what the past or the future is mm-hmm. that they. They're just – they are play and eat. They don't do anything. They don't seem to have any idea of sexuality or idea of self-presence. And then all of a sudden, oh, how do they wear their hair? Would I I be pretty? Like where did this come from?
0: Yeah. That said, everything that she has to do beforehand, I really enjoyed. And I think – If you're going to spotlight one or two Eloy, she certainly is one you'd want to spotlight. Yeah.
6: Oh, absolutely. Uh, She does stand out in the crowd.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She does. I did like her quite a bit. There are other women in the film, other Eloy, but none of them really have names. We don't really get names of anybody else, right? No. She's the only one, only Eloy. Right. Which is fine. It's not their story. It's Rod Taylor's. And, you know, I I keep calling him Rod Taylor. I know in the credits he's credited as George Wells. Do, Do they actually call him George in the film? They do, right?
6: They call him George in the film, and if you look very close on the control panel of the time machine, as they're showing the dates flicker by, there is a manufacturer statement plaque on the the control panel, and it says it's manufactured by H. George Wells. Nice. <laughs> that is
0: very cool. N- nice little nod to H. G. Wells, the author of the of the novel. Mm-hmm. That's fantastic. I'm a big fan of what I've seen of H. G. Wells. Adaptations. I think I've seen pretty much all of them, actually, at this point. I'm not overly familiar with his writing, but oh, the films that have come out of those novels are fantastic. I love Things to Come. I love War of the Worlds, One World's Cold. I love these films. And I think The Time Machine is going to be right up there near the top of my favorite Wells adaptations at this point because oh, yeah. it's just no. so good.
6: No, it is, it is very good. I'd encourage if you, if you have a little time to go ahead and, and pick up the novel and sit down and read that sometimes, I think you'd be interested in the departures. I should. Uh, that it takes.
0: You know, my DVD to watch pile is huge and my book to read pile is just as huge.
6: Yeah, no, I know the feeling.
0: Yeah, We were talking before we started recording. Oh, if we could just get paid to be a fan, you know, <laughs> get rid of the day job <laughs> exactly. and just – I do want to read it though and I probably will at some point. But I've got the movie for now, and the movie's so good. I love the music. You know, I'm the soundtrack guy, so i got to talk about the music. Mm -hmm. I've got to talk about Russell Garcia's score. Russell Garcia is somebody who I don't have a lot of in my music collection. And I think some of that's because he didn't do a lot of genre work. If you look at his history, he did a lot of TV, a lot Mm -hmm. of westerns, a lot of dramas, and things like that. He didn't seem to do a lot of genre material. He did Atlantis, the Lost Continent with George Powell. And he did this one. And I think that might have been it. Interesting.
6: No, his music plays a huge role. I love how the music, I mean, you talk about music kind of building up a scene. Mm -hmm. I love how the music, the soundtrack in this film, I mean, there's a couple scenes. Oh, uh, the, the scene where he discovers the larder of the Morlocks. Mm. And the music is just suddenly loud. It's bombastic, and it, it, it has this this little this sense of dread to it. And it's for a good several seconds before we actually know what in the world he's even looking at. Mm-hmm. And it really kind of like, oh my god, this must be horrendous. Yep. And of course, it kind of is. But <laughs> the music does a fantastic job. Another uh, a great point for me in the music is when he's. In the future, he's looking around, and he appears to be completely by himself, and he's almost in a panicked run going through the forest trying to find anybody, and that Mm -hmm. music will put you on the edge of your
0: seat. Oh, it's great. This music, the score does everything that a perfect film score needs to do. It never stands out by itself. It's always used as Mm -hmm. an accompanying piece. It still becomes its own character when need be, but it doesn't hog the spotlight from anything else going on on screen, and it takes you on a journey. The opening music, the music played while George is going through time, when it needs to be spooky and intense, it's intense and scary. When we're supposed to be having the wonder of traveling through time, it gives us that. He hits all the notes. I don't know if other music of his has been released on CD. Of course I've got the soundtrack for The Time Machine. I don't know if his other non-genre or non-film works is out there, but if it is, I'd like to track it down and listen to it. it, I think he could have done a lot more genre wise if he wanted to. Mm -hmm. And it's something that I'd like to listen to more of.
6: You called it, you know, the, the wonder music, the, when the, uh, the, the time machine is first revealed, the full scale model, he opens the door and there's the swelling, just fantastic music of just awe. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it fits so well. I mean, you can't, look at that scene without having that music go through your head and you can't hear that music without seeing the time machine
0: <laughs> oh yeah it becomes it becomes so linked yep which you know as a kid who grew up in the 80s I, I have a lot of those linking moments in the movies that I saw growing up you know the Star Wars music three it's a the lost Stark a lot of the John Williams music well I would put Russell Garcia right up there in the mm-hmm. time machine in that same uh, class or style where it's so linked and so important so thematic
6: and just not the music too the whole Sound mm-hmm. everything in this film is really great. I love the future world where you hear what you assume are animals uh It has that weird sounds and music. You hear some sort of strange calls that are all very alien. They're not something you would hear in the jungle today. I really appreciated that. The sound of everything the sound of the morlocks the you know the the machinery in their caves oh, the sound period in this entire film, I think is done. It's just,
0: it's just spot on, mm-hmm. and not just the futuristic stuff. When we're dealing with World War and the way uh, those sounds sure. work, and you know, the more realistic for us and historic for us, but still futuristic for George, all the sound design really works. I feel like this movie really fires on all cylinders for me. Mm. Uh, there are a few issues here and there, like yeah, maybe I saw too much of the Morlocks again,
5: yeah. But
0: overall, this movie is just packed with quality filmmaking.
6: I mean, surprisingly, and they only shot it. I think they said the budget was like seven hundred and fifty thousand in nineteen sixty. So I was going to do the math real quick, and I, I forgot. But the, so you're only talking a few million dollar kind of budget in today's money, a relatively low budget for what they ended up with. A look at this film, and you would expect it to have a budget of. If it were today, it'd be like, this would be a 50, 60, 70 million dollar film. Sure. And they did it for, in 1960, less than a million Mm dollars. They did an amazing job with the money that they had.
0: And it's all on the screen. You can enjoy yes. so much of it. One of the things that I love about watching these older movies, especially the more epic older movies, is you see these grand sets and the production design and everything that they do. That Sphinx that they built, the, the grand staircase growing up to it, uh, George's house, mm-hmm. they look – Amazing. I want to run around those things. I want to go play hide-and-seek in those things, man. And I'm 41 years old.
6: <laughs> Talking about George's house. And when we have which version of George's house. We have George's house when he's living in it and all the clocks are ticking and everything's mm-hmm. clean and immaculate. And then we have George's house 17 years later where it's boarded up and there's dust covering everything and sheets over all the furniture. Uh, it's just a fantastic piece of set work. How they're able to do one and then the other is you know, it's, it's it's impressive this yeah. film had to in many ways be shot in order because I don't think you could have oh okay we got to go back and reshoot the scene in the dining room like well we can't because we have it covered in dust and cobwebs. yeah
0: <laughs> no it had to be a, a logistical I don't want to say nightmare but you'd have to be very specific in what you shot when the opening and the ending you'd have to shoot up once and then age everything throw up the boards no you'd have to be pretty really smart with how you did this yeah and Fortunately, Pal & Company were because they create such a real film with these locations. That I believe that they had aged. I believe that we had watched them age before our eyes. Sure. You know? Speaking
6: of, what did you think of their methods of demonstrating him traveling
0: through time? I loved it. I loved it. For 1960s fantasy film, I loved it. I said earlier, I love time travel films. I'm a huge sucker for a good time travel story. And every time travel movie seems to do it a little bit differently. I really enjoyed this. I, I thought it was a little odd that the housekeeper didn't stumble in at one point and you know, see, see the, the time machine maybe flash into existence for a second. But overall, I thought it was a nice visual. Way of doing it. What about you?
6: Oh, I think it's fantastic. I think my favorite—I mean, certainly you have the uh, the the stop motion and the animation of the, the the flowers and the you know the snail going across the floor. But I think the one I enjoy most is probably one of the more simplest is the ever-changing mannequin. Oh, I love that where the clothes just keep changing. And I like the fact how they sort of start out by doing it slowly, where you actually see Philby or someone in there changing the clothes. And then it just goes to this suddenly, just like almost snapshot of, and then, this, and then this, and then this, and then this, and then this. And you don't need to show everything; it just it conveys the right message, and it looks good, and it's fun, and I think that's really great.
0: And I love the voiceover, the narration. Oh, so that's what women are going to be wearing in the future. I love that. Yes.
6: Oh, I wonder. I wonder how long women are going to let this go. Oh my yeah, goodness. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. No, I
0: loved that. <laughs> I mean, the movie starts at the turn of the century, but it was released in 1960 so as filmmakers right. they had the the knowledge they had a of a little what, bit of yeah a little bit of hindsight so they knew what they were doing. but to be able to allow our characters to react to that was nice I enjoyed that a lot
6: yeah very much I thought that was really cool, although actually it surprised me that um, it was only a year or two later where he makes that comment that 's a dress you know but maybe things really did change a lot quickly after the turn of the century
0: yeah, country. maybe. I always thought
6: that was a little later, further down the road. But that was—he'd only gone a, a year or two when he made that comment. I'm Like, well, I suppose after the 1900s, things probably did pick up pace a little bit.
0: Sure. No, I—I I liked the mannequin bit a lot. I mean, that was just—that was good. There's, there's yep. so much about this movie to enjoy, and the time travel effects are fantastic. The snail was great because uh, it's—you know—it's fun. You know, to see the snail go—you know, just yeah, <laughs> screen along. I love that.
6: Now, the one that I think is probably most impressive is they show. Uh, the apple tree branch yes and the buds grow and then the apples grow that was actually done with a painting they literally he painted they took a picture he painted a little more they took a picture oh wow they painted more they took a picture that's how they did that i think that is an incredibly inventive and create way to do it and it and it just it works i mean yeah looking back on it now what are we 55 years later some of the stuff seems a little dated and and maybe almost on the cheesy side but i think for 1960 it was fantastic and Mm -hmm. i don't mind it at
0: all no and i I think that's one of the things that you and i as people who appreciate these older movies and the listeners of course we can look back and say wow that's how they did it and then it makes it even more impressive
6: exactly (laughs) exactly
0: You know, and those things, I didn't know that about, wow, that's amazing. And that's, you know, Pal probably playing into his animation background a little bit. Fine. Oh, sure. Bring it to the table, man, because it works. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Is there a really good release of this on DVD or Blue? I know it's on Blue, but I don't know. Is there a lot of...
6: I was just commenting about this on Facebook. Unfortunately, there has not been, well, yes and no. I have a DVD that I think was released in the early 2000s, 2000, like 2001,
0: mm-hmm.
6: and it's a brilliant-looking transfer. It looks really good. Uh, it is was released on Blu-ray in 2014, but it's just the same thing that's on the DVD. Oh. No additional remastering, no uh, additional special features or anything. Really disappointing. I, I don't understand why this film has not had more response on a home release level. It it baffles me.
0: That's a shame. I know in 2002 they did it again. I think you mentioned that earlier. I don't think I saw that one. Did you see that?
6: I did. I actually saw it in the theater, and that is actually one of the few, if not only, remake that is in my uh, home video collection. Really? Yeah. I liked it. I mean, it was definitely very different than the original. It departs from... The book just as much, if not more, uh, than the original did. But I, I enjoyed it. I actually really kind of liked it. Granted, I haven't watched it in a long time. It's in my collection. Doesn't mean I actually watched it in a while, but.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I know that.
6: Yeah. (laughs) But no, I actually didn't mind it. I enjoyed it. And so yeah, it, it, it did find its way into my collection. It might be just because the time machine story is just one of, is a favorite of mine. So. That maybe that's the reason it's it's there.
0: But I know that the director of the film of the 2002 version is the great-grandson of H.G. Wells, so you actually have some connection to the original Correct. novel. Uh, I've yep. never seen it, and I would assume that if they were going to re-release the original film, it would have been around the time the theatrical release of the new one came out, just to kind of tie into that. So I didn't know if that had something to do with it. You know, I don't think it did very well, did it, when it came out, the 2002? No, I
6: think it... It did okay. Uh, there's no sequel, so <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true. <laughs> and you know there would be if if it done if it had done really well, they probably would have found a way to make a sequel.
0: Yeah. Well, that's too bad. I think this is one that could really use, especially with the George Powell colors, make yeah, them pop, you know, really restore them, make them look great.
6: Yeah, that's what I was saying. It just it just begs for a really good HD remastered release on mm-hmm. this, and there's there's nothing. And and it's a shame like I said 55 years down the road from the time this thing was released and it's like where where's the special edition where's the criterion
0: <laughs> Oh god yes this is when the criterion would oh wow
6: no no additional special features no 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 more backstories no nothing I mean it's 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 a shame
0: isn't there a, like a half hour like look back at the movie yeah, and that is
6: included on the DVD. And oh, I believe okay. you can find it. You can find that streaming on Amazon. I, I was just looking earlier. I think both the film and the, uh, the time machine, a journey back is what it's called. It was about a 37, 40 minute. I think it must have been made for TV because there's, uh, certainly places for commercial breaks, uh, documentary that it does explore the, the making of the film and gives you a little bit of an idea of, you know, what happened to the time machine afterwards, which is a, crime in and of itself but it has a happy ending <laughs> and it's interesting and I'll, I'll say this though and this is where i would say if you can find it go ahead and watch this alan young and rod taylor reunite and do a, a a short sequel let's say to the time machine okay they do a scene they do a scene together in this documentary it's a lot of fun i i think it's a lot of fun this was done back in early 90s so it was it, I think when uh, both – oh, no, I was going to say Rod Teller just passed away. So I was going to say just before he died. But no, (laughs) he had many years to go. But I think this was done in the early 90s. Okay. But uh, even if you just kind of skip to the last 15 minutes, if you don't want to watch all the backstory, it's it's neat to see these two kind of get together and get back in character again.
0: Well, that goes to something that you were saying at the very beginning of all this is the characters, the relationship between the two is something – that just makes this movie special. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, the Philby-George relationship, and the chemistry between Rod Taylor and Alan Young is just spot on. Yeah. And Alan Young's still with us, isn't he?
6: He is indeed. He is indeed. And as far as I know, I think he may even still be doing some voice work.
0: Wow. Good for him. Yeah, exactly. Good for him, yeah. (laughs) You know, as much as uh, I am familiar with him from Mr. Ed... um, (laughs) I think I'm always going to remember him now. I'm going to associate him with the time machine because he's just one of the spotlights for me. And he gets to play different characters. I mean, he's not just the same guy throughout the entire movie.
6: Yeah. Isn't it great? You know, we talked about the Morlock makeup and, and whatever. I tell you, some of the best makeup, I think, is on Alan Young mm-hmm. because he is, I think he was 40 when he did the time machine. And so he played what would you would probably guess to be someone in his 30s or early 40s as David Philby. And then we get to see him as a, say, 18, 19 year old James Philby, his son, played by the same, played by Alan Young. And he looks great. He looks good and he looks young. And then you get to see a old James Philby, probably in his seventies or eighties and looking old. And still he looks great. I mean, it's another really fantastic piece of makeup and a fantastic piece of acting because they seem like three different well or two different people and two different ages.
0: Yeah, no, it's Three great. Three different ages. He really does complement the makeup with his performance and the makeup is great. You get to see and it's not just a face makeup. It's a full body transformation you know he's a little thicker in the middle you know you can see yeah. the way he has to move around his body getting older it's great
6: yeah it doesn't stand out can't can't walk as straight when, he, when he's old James Philby and mm-hmm. when he's young James Philby he's in his military uniform and he's tall and he's straight and he doesn't have his mustache and he looks you know he looks 18 he looks 18 20 years old
0: definitely if I didn't know any better I'd say this could certainly be his film I mean I love Rod Taylor but Alan Young really I don't want to say steals the scene <laughs> and I think maybe that's maybe that's a quality of a really good good actor. He doesn't steal the scene, but he sure as hell compliments it. Oh,
6: absolutely! And he you, really you makes it. You you don't think of those scenes and only think of Rod Taylor.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: I mean, Alan Young is, is there. He does a fantastic job. God, and the, so good. And the script form is really good. I mean, honestly, I mean he's he's an actor, but he's conveying something that's on the page. I think the stuff that's on the page is really well done. The lines between them, the conversations between them, I mean, someone had to write that stuff. And I think that stuff does, I think it's really great.
0: So the screenwriter, the person who adapted it was David Duncan, who, again, somebody I don't know a heck of a lot of about. No, And that's one of the things that I love about doing Monster Kid Radio is I end up going into these crazy rabbit holes, figuring, <laughs> learning all these things about these people <laughs> that are involved in all of these movies. I know that David Duncan is credited with doing the English dialogue for the dub of Rodan. Which is one of my favorite kaiju films. Interesting. So I know he was involved with that, but I just don't know a lot about his screenwriting career. I'd like to learn more.
6: I'll admit that my interest doesn't always go as deep as some other people's. I, I like a lot of these films. <laughs> what, what are you
0: saying? No, no. <laughs> <laughs>
6: Yeah, you know, it's just uh, these names come up, and every now and again I'll recognize a name, but I don't. Yeah, I don't go into a lot of research and I'll find out much about them. So I, I wish I could sit here and say, "Oh, well, Mr. Duncan, he did this." I'm afraid of, you know, I'm, just, I'm the same as you. I don't know much about him, and I, uh, but I think he did a, a, a brilliant job.
0: Oh wow! So I pulled up his listing online. Just because I wanted to see if there's anything else that I'm already familiar with, and I certainly am. He wrote what I still consider one of my top three classic monster movies of all time The Black Scorpion.
6: Wow, really? There you go. He's one
0: of the screenwriters on that, and I love The Black Scorpion. He did that and it looks like he did some work for Universal Monster on the Campus, A Thing That Wouldn't Die. And and he wrote a bunch of the T V show Men into Space, which was a nineteen sixties science fiction show, which I've actually found myself enjoying quite a bit when I go back and watch it.
6: Oh interesting. I don't think I've ever seen that actually. It's
0: pretty low budget and it's not in the best of shape. It really shows that it was an old movie from the sixties that nobody really thought to save. But or an old TV show, excuse me, from the sixties, but I love it. I think it's fun. It's a, a really interesting science fiction, realistic approach to space exploration.
6: I will check it out.
0: I would recommend it. So yeah, there's, uh, you know, another guy who's contributed to My Monster Kid Dumb. That's fantastic. Looks like he did an episode of The Outer Limits. Good on you, David Duncan.
6: Yeah, definitely some <laughs> genre cred there. So there you go. That's impressive is he's done a lot of genre stuff, but I think some of the best dialogue that he has has nothing to do with science fiction. Right. That, I think, is a sign of a really brilliant writer.
0: Sure, sure. You don't get caught up in the, the whiz bang of it all. You're just exactly. writing people. Surrounded by a bunch of whiz bang, but you're just writing people. And the characterizations that he was able to put on page for Philby, even for, you know, Walter Kemp a little bit, and George certainly. The characters are real. Yeah, absolutely. They're, they're traveling through time, and that unfortunately isn't real. Because man, I'd love it to have a time machine. But you know, they're they're real people to us. and <laughs> It's fantastic.
6: Like I said, with the, the with maybe the, the the only complaint being um, the very well, I don't know if sexist is the right word, but the the, the take on Weena. Um,
0: do you think I'm pretty? What? what? Yeah. Yeah.
6: <laughs>
0: How do I like to wear their hair? Like, well. First of
6: all, I'm not sure where you got curlers in the, you know, the year 802-701, uh, but
0: I didn't know you cared about people's hair. But oh, man.
6: Let's not keep beating that dead horse. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have brought it up again. No, but
0: it's, <laughs> it is true. And, it's you know, again, it's one of those things that, as fans of these movies, we sometimes have to take the, the bad with the much, many, many, many good things. Yes. And a lot of these movies are products of their time. And I've said it before, and I think you've said it on Orphaned Entertainment. A lot of times these movies have some attitudes from the past that, We have fortunately, or at least we're trying real hard to get over. Exactly. So learn from it. Move on. Enjoy the movie.
6: Exactly. Very good. Such
2: stories as H.G. Wells' War of the Worlds and Jules Verne's 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea have challenged mankind. So today, man is successfully probing deep into the mysteries of the universe. Can he penetrate the greatest mystery of all, time itself? Magic of George Pal and the fabulous production know-how of Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer to catapult you through time into a world that is yet to be.
5: Why is it that we usually ignore the fourth dimension? You, you see, we can move in the other three, as the doctor said: up, down, forwards, backwards, sideways. But when it comes to time,
2: we are prisoners. Inventor Rod Taylor's breakthrough into the realm of the fourth dimension is defied by his friend Alan Young.
4: If that machine can do what you see it can. Destroy it, George, before it destroys you.
2: Every moment is a year, hurtling through the atomic wars of the future on an incredible excursion into the unknown. What are the people like? Ah, the shape of things to come. It's lovely Yvette Mimou. And what happens when boy meets girl thousands of years hence?
4: How do they wear their hair? Who? The women of your time.
2: Up like that. Show me. Is this the human race of the future? Or is this the Morlocks, fiendish creatures who live in a weird underground world? And the Eloi, the tranquil sunshine people, who the Morlocks dominate and maintain like cattle, luring them below with the hypnotic wail of the sirens, to feed upon them in cannibalistic horror? Well,
0: we've talked a lot about the cast. We've talked a little bit about the crew. Do we want to talk about the overall story? I think a lot of people probably already know it and can probably piece it together, but overall. Yeah, I kinda, yeah
6: as, as long as we've talked, I didn't know if you really wanted to go into any kind of a, a plot at all or not, you know, just I assuming high, that in 55 think, years people have seen it.
0: <laughs> I, I agree, but I think a high-level – well, I think we, people can probably piece it together. A high-level plot here is – George is going to go back in time, or has built a time machine, and he's going to go forward in time. And he's telling his buddies all about it.
6: Exactly. I mean, that's how where the story opens up. George has invited his friends over to dinner, and to show him the culmination of two years' work. And he has built and constructed a time machine. Uh, He originally shows them a small, very adorable, cute little model.
0: Oh, I'd love to have (laughs) that model.
6: Well, uh, just real break from the synopsis. Uh, George Powell took that model home. Oh, was not you? Well, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and then, unfortunately, a very large fire uh, oh. wiped out his neighborhood, including all of his precious belongings, which oh. included the miniature time machine. So, sad story.
0: Hope it was insured. <laughs> <laughs> Although, and you know, here we go, veering off track again. And see, that's what happens when you get a couple of monster kids talking. Yes. The, the full-size time machine, I believe, is still around. In one form or another, yes, that was the,
6: it, it actually had a very sad story to begin with, but it had a happy ending. The original time machine was just a movie prop. It was just stuck in a warehouse. And then years later, 10, 15 years later, it was auctioned off. Even during production, the control panel was sawed off the thing so the crew could shoot the, uh, the inserts of the the, the, the flipping time uh, dials.
0: God, that would kill me to be on the set doing that. I, I just <laughs> and I know for a lot of these people, it's just a movie, but right, man. Yeah, you sure you can't just build another one? Come <laughs> yeah. on. Unfortunately,
6: uh, that the original control panel was was lost after that. The rest of the time machine kind of floated around. Eventually, it was purchased. It was found in a a, a thrift store. Of all places, a thrift store in Florida. And it was then, uh, repurchased and put to get, put back together. I'm trying to remember the name. It was one of the, um, one of the crew that actually worked on the, uh, on the film, I think, uh, purchased it back. And they, he and a bunch of volunteers effectively, uh, kind of rebuilt it, took it apart, cleaned it, rebuilt it. The chair was gone. They had to completely reconstruct the chair. Uh, they reconstructed the, uh, control panel, uh, all for a, um, uh, a Christmas show that was, cool. they, they were putting on, that the studio was put it was putting together. They wanted to use the time machine in that and they put it all back together and, uh, yeah, and there, and there it was. And so from there, it's actually been taken pretty good care of and it is still floating around. It's every now and again, you'll see it pop into a, a film here and there. It showed up in some back to the future promos. Yeah. It showed up in the background of the film Gremlins.
0: Mm-hmm.
6: Uh, Hoyt Axton uh, goes to an inventor convention and the time machine is in the background.
0: Which so, is very yes. cool.
6: Yeah, very cool. So that is, it is still there, it is still floating around.
0: Yeah, actually, doesn't Bob Burns own it right now? A
6: very good possibility. Yeah. I don't know for sure.
0: Yeah, my my understanding is that right now it is in the possession of Bob Burns, and he's taking great care of it.
6: Yeah, absolutely, good. So,
0: if anybody's going to have it, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and if you don't know who Bob Burns is, listeners, look him up. <laughs> Google yeah. him. Oh, the Big of us. Bang
6: Theory. I think it showed up in the Big Bang Theory recently. Too. Oh, did
0: it really? Yes it did. Oh good for them. That's awesome. Yep.
6: Anyway, back to the synopsis. Yes. His friends of course are incredulous at best that he actually invented anything with a time machine. Some great scenes with them trying to discuss and understand the fourth dimension. George despite the uh misgivings of his friends and the even Philby telling him that this is not a good idea does take a trip into the future. Originally just a few years, he goes about 17 years into the future finds himself in uh, World War I, jumps to 1966, I think it is, and finds himself in another war, this one Atomic. Yeah. The Atomic War sets in motion a series of natural disasters that he barely escapes from, and he is stuck traveling through time for millennia, it's just Hundreds and hundreds of thousands of years as he's trapped inside a mountain, which is a really great that, you know, his time machine travels in time but not space. So a mountain forms around him, and he has to wait this mountain out before it, it'll erode. And when he finally comes out, he finds himself in the year 802 Yeah. And in this year, he finds that the human race has split off into two factions. You have the beautiful Eloy. Who, as I described later, are, you know, the, the blonde hair, blue eyed symbols <laughs> of perfect, of, of beauty perfection, uh-huh. who live, who seem to live a life that's just frolicking in the sun, eating fruit with no cares in the world. And then there is the Morlocks, a subterranean race that man the machines, make the clothes and, and, and the food that the Eloy survive on. And they have, of course, a, a dark side to them that they are taking care of the Eloy to use as a food source. Of course, the uh, mindset of George is that this is just a horrible thing to go, especially after they take Weena <laughs> for, <Yeah>. for lunch.
0: <laughs> I love how that's done, too, the way they take her, the way they summon the mm-hmm. Eloy. with the air raid signal, the sirens going off. And, right. of course, the Eloi don't know it's an air raid. They don't know what it means, or what it means to George. I love that something from, well, I guess our time, or even before our time, has evolved to mean something else.
6: Yes, it also gives you the idea that that war must have been going on for a lot longer than... uh, Well, actually, you know what, I think it's even mentioned by the Talking Rings that the war goes on for centuries. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. 370-something year of a war, and so... You had to have had a long time for these sounds, this, this air raid sirens to be ingrained in the in the in the human psyche.
0: It's really smart storytelling.
6: I think it's really great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, the air raid sirens go off in the Eloy in almost a, a hypnotic trance. It's almost a Pavlovian response.
0: Yes. And then when it's all done and George is asking where's Weena, it's okay. All clear. All clear. Yep, Which is what all they would clear. say and it it totally means something different now but it's still you can kind of see where the the language and the ideas and the concepts came from it's fascinating i love that about a good time travel movie
6: absolutely well george of course will not stand by and let the, oh, no. anything happen to weena also the morlocks have taken his machine into this giant sphinx and he has to find a way to get it back
0: and that's a bigger that's a big deal
6: yeah. <laughs> yeah it's a big deal so finding another entrance into the morlocks later he goes to rescue weena and the rest of the eloy and then Starts a revolution of sorts, and perhaps uh, sets the Eloy off on you know, kind of continuing the uh, the human evolution.
0: One would hope. One would hope that he didn't just damn them all because they're pretty helpless.
6: <laughs> yeah, that's true.
0: You know, with the exception of Weena, who's concerned about her hair, and the one guy who finally fights back. Exactly. Yeah.
6: Oh, I guess we—I should have mentioned that. You know, this whole story is told, in effect, in flashback. Sure. Uh, George does manage to reclaim his machine, and he travels back to his own time to uh tell the story to his friends and then Of course, in the end of the story, he leaves his friends once again to travel forward to time i we assume to rejoin the Eloy and guide them in their future the as he puts it their their life of bliss or, mm-hmm. i I forget the actual words that he uses, but their their life of leisure is over right and now, and so I suppose he's going to guide them and, and, and teach them what they need to know to survive. And again,
0: it goes to the smart filmmaking, and the storytelling here, because if George doesn't go back to the future, then all the things that we saw him do as he was skipping along to get to the future, meeting the descendant of Philby and all that. None of that could have happened if he comes back and stays here. But now that he goes True. back to the future again, those events can still happen. Again, I love me a good time travel story. (laughs) You know, I love those things. So I love to think about how those things work and and to make the timeline still work. He takes three books with him to the future. Yep. What books do you think he took?
6: I think there's been long discussions about what three books he took.
0: Because they don't tell us.
6: No, they do not. But what three books would you take as Alan – (laughs) as? (laughs) <laughs> As Philby would say,
0: which is great. Which is a, again, you're you're involving the audience again in a different way, and I loved that. What three books would I take? Oh man, you know it's hard because we live in the day and age of the internet now, and you know we can't take Wikipedia <laughs> with us. So what do we do?
6: No, nope. can't take anything with batteries. Can't take your iPad.
0: Yeah. Oh God.
6: I, I was thinking about this about. Oh God, you know, I saw that scene. I'm like, ah, Derek is going to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think certainly a book of mathematics would be a must and then perhaps a dictionary it's the third book i'm having a hard time deciding on what that should be i think there are probably many people that are a lot more religious than i am that would that would take something like a bible or a quran or you know whatever religion they they put their stock in but but i can't really come up with a third
0: he doesn't strike me as a guy who would have a lot of religious texts laying around
6: he does pray yeah you do see him actually pray at a moment, so he does
0: have a faith. hmm that's a good call. I think a mathematic well, would he want? God, this is tough because would you want to bring a book with you that just mimics what you already know because if you already know it, then you can write it down yourself later. I don't know,
6: yeah, but not everybody know i a book on mathematics, though, would actually be a lesson, and I think we may all know math, but have you ever tried to teach someone you know, certain math elements? You don't have a kid. Trust me. It's harder than you think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I do try to teach my cats math all the time, and it just doesn't work. Oh. So, yeah, they're they're not very – You know, it's because they don't have the opposable thumb to count on their fingers is the thing, I think. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Maybe a medical text, like a Grace Anatomy or something along those lines. Oh, interesting. I had not thought of that. That's good. He doesn't strike me as somebody who has a lot of medical knowledge.
6: No. Definitely more of a mechanical engineer and inventor. Not mm-hmm. much in the in the medical
0: field. It certainly feels like one of those things that you could watch the movie in your tenth grade English class. Or even junior high school, because it's you know, it's it's George Powell. So you watch it right. in junior high and then you turn it into a big class discussion and project. Which three books would you take? Exactly. Yeah. There you go. There you go. So teachers show this movie to your kids. That's what I'm saying. Yeah.
6: Monster Kid Radio listeners, yes. Comment, get to, get to the Facebook page. Send a, send Derek a, an email or a voicemail. You know, what Tell three what, books? What three books
0: would you take? That's that's awesome. Yeah, I'm not going to make that a Facebook poll. I want to open it up to everybody. Yes, absolutely. So let's do that. Yeah, and I'll go over the contact information at the end of the show. So that'll be fun to, to discuss. Yeah, I don't know what three books. I, I think of both. I think the two that you mentioned are good ones. What a fantastic film, though, and that it can make you think and really kind of engage you on a level that a lot of science fiction, or even time travel movies today, don't really engage you on. I love that. And this is going to be in my top. I'd say, you know, I do a lot of top three lists here on Monster Kid Radio. I'd probably put this on my top three time travel movies. I know Beyond the Time Barrier came out the same year, which I'm a big fan of that one as well. Mm -hmm. And that one actually has a lot of similar themes to The Time Machine. I don't know which one came out first, but Beyond the Time Barrier is an Edgar Ulmer film. And in the future, the future population has been separated into two groups, but the underground ones are the ones that are more human-like and the ones on top are more aggressive.
6: There was a World Without End that, again, uh, that actually had Rod Taylor that – I don't know if you consider time travel. There's time warping, and that was in
0: 1956. Okay. Okay. I'm so glad that you brought up this movie and you mentioned how much you loved it. The reason it came up in conversation between you and I is because I went through and I tried to play some trailers on Monster Kid Radio a while back that had Paul Freeze's voice on it. And I don't remember why I did that. Why There was a connection to Paul Freeze for something. And you responded to the trailer quite a bit. You got all excited about it. And then Paul Freeze's voice is in the movie. Yeah. I love Paul Freeze, man. Oh, he's so great.
6: We didn't even talk about it. That's actually one of my favorite little, I don't know what you call it, special effects or, or set pieces. The talking rings where we hear Paul Freeze's voice. Yes. That is one of my favorite things in movies. I just, I love
0: the talking rings. It's kind of their, comp- you know, when he picks it up, the first time I saw this, and I had seen this scene a while back, the first time he picks them up like how is he going to like a cd i don't understand Then he spins it and it starts talking it's like that's brilliant
6: yep it's it, simple it it's a, effective the little light that follows it around that looks like the light comes up from below but it's probably coming from above so it can follow the ring as it as it travels across this platform i just i you know it's probably not a very good method of <laughs> information technology but I think it looks fantastic.
0: Oh, it's, it's great. It sounds good. And I love that as this ring is slowing down the wars, I, I love that. <laughs> you know, and, and I can, I have to imagine because it's Paul freeze. They didn't do that in post. He just did it himself. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Probably. Paul freeze is iconic. His voice is iconic. He's, His voice has been in so many of these movies that we love so much. Love the talking rings. And I love the science in this movie altogether. I love that the talking rings are so fantastic and science-based. They work, and we don't have to learn how. We just accept them. And I love that we don't really even know how the time machine works. It just kind of does. And they don't get too bogged down in explaining why and how because we don't Mm -hmm. need it. It's not relevant to the story. We just have to know that it works, and it works. Exactly. Exactly. And it works well enough to handle handle being manhandled by a bunch of Morlocks. And <laughs>
6: <laughs> yep, precisely. Yeah, if you actually want to know the what, that was one of the things that they did stick with with the original novel. Although, they, they, like you said, they don't point it out in the film. But what it, it runs on the power is crystals. Okay. It was something that was being looked at. At the turn of a century, as a potential power source, maybe there were something to crystals, hmm. or at least at the time that the uh, the novel was written. Hmm. So his, you know, the, the actual lever that he control panel on the end of it is a very large crystal. That is the power source of the time machine.
0: Nice, no, he's, he's, and that's the thing that he takes out, right? And he turns exactly around in his he pocket.
6: removes it to make sure it doesn't no one just absconds with his time machine, right? It's not just so no one can control it. I mean, you just put a stick in there and move it. No, that's actually the power source.
0: I now want a keychain or a keyring that looks like that to put in my car. (laughs) There you go. That would be nice. Well, the time machine. uh, What else is there to say? It's a fantastic. I've used the word fantastic so much because it is. It's a a fantastic fantasy of a science fiction film. I love it. This one is one that I'm going to go back and revisit. And I'm going to pop in the DVD and check out that documentary sequel thing. I haven't watched it. I've got the DVD here, and I just never really sat around to watch the the extra feature on there. I need to.
6: I think you'd like it. I mean, if you got a spare 40 minutes, certainly if you are interested in, in, in finding out the actual in-depth history of what happened to the time machine and how they put it all back together, and then the little bit of the, the, the makings, it's a little cheesy. Well... Because it, it was a, 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 if anything was a product of its time, it was the documentary.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that good, huh?
6: Yeah, yeah. It was like I said, it was definitely made for TV. There's definitely little commercial, you know, points for commercial breaks and that sort of thing. But it, it's still very interesting to watch, and you get to see and and hear some of the people that worked on the film discuss how they did it and and what they did to to get stuff done. And if you're a behind the scenes fan, it's certainly, uh, worth, worth your time.
0: Right on. Well, I think the movie itself is worth your time, as is your podcast, Christopher. Orphaned Entertainment, you like that? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> worth your time, huh? Time. Uh, I get uh, it. Uh, uh. Uh, so your podcast is Orphaned Entertainment. That's that, right. That's the primary podcast, right? Correct. That okay. is it.
6: Uh, you can find us now. We have uh a very easy to to remember website orphanentertainment.com the promo that you've played we actually need to re we need to make a new one and, and change it we'll the web address that's on that promo which will still get you to the right place but it is not the same one mm-hmm. uh so we've changed our 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 URL to orphanentertainment.com and of course we're on iTunes and Stitcher and we'll be all we're always thrilled to get um you know
0: more monster kid uh, fans <laughs> <laughs>
6: go over and turn them into Orphan Entertainment fans, and and uh hopefully we can go the other way sometimes.
0: <laughs> I appreciate that, and I love sending people your way because I love classic Hollywood, and I love these older films and learning about them from you. I mean, I've learned a lot from your show, so you and Lydia do a bang-up job. Please give her my best – I love the show. And do you have another project as well, another podcast?
6: I do. It's my older podcast, and then it's one that kind of sat and got dusty, and I'm trying to kind of brush the dust off. It's the Time Shifters podcast. Time? And
0: Yeah. Ah. There you
6: go. (laughs) And you can find that one at timeshifterspodcast.com.
0: All right, so timeshifterspodcast.com, as well as orphanedentertainment.com, where people can find you... Podcast-wise, of course, you've got a couple of Facebook groups, and you're online as well that way. So people check out what he's got going on. He does good work. He's one of us.
6: Yep. Thank you very much. Oh, and I should mention that Orphan Entertainment's got its own YouTube channel. So all the uh, films and television shows that we cover, you we got one-stop shopping to go and and watch them. If you're ever trying to trying to track it down, I try to find the best copy I I can, and then get that uploaded to that page. So great place to, to find it.
0: That is smart.
6: Yeah, I thought so. <laughs> and we've had some, we've had a great response to the YouTube channel. I, I I wish we got the kind of activity on our Facebook group that that I get on the YouTube channel. <laughs> really, <laughs> lots of fantastic comments, lots of viewers, and lots of comments on the uh, on the videos. People, you know, really seem to appreciate having a place to find some of these. And maybe there are films that they haven't seen before, or maybe they are films that they saw once. And I had one person comment about the equator mass in the Pit. The uh, BBC serial mm-hmm. who said that he remembered the creatures that were in Quatermass. He just remembered them and it gave him nightmares and he had no idea where the heck that came from. <laughs> and then he finally, he stumbled across our, our YouTube page and watched Quatermass and he's like, that's it. That's where they come from. That makes me happy.
0: <laughs> nice. Well, Chris, again, thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. And we will have you back on the show time allowing. Ah uh-huh.
6: ha! There huh? it is again. Uh, well, Derek, I really appreciate it. I'm, I'm glad we finally got a chance, and I found something to sit down and talk to. Like you, you've been doing this for so long, I keep coming up with stuff, and I'm like, oh nope, I talked about that, or oh nope, I'm already scheduled to talk about that. I'm like, huh. yeah, what's left?
0: <laughs> oh, there's plenty left. There's plenty left. You can find Christopher at orphanedentertainment.com dot com or timeshifterspodcast.com, or just look them up on Facebook. Christopher, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this incredibly cool time travel film. Like I said in our conversation, I love time travel movies. Even the ones that are a little kind of wonky, I still dig them. There's something about the time travel thing that just hooks me and makes me excited. The Time Machine is probably one of the absolute best films to do it. So, again, Christopher, thank you for being part of the show, and we will definitely have you on the show down the line. And, of course, when we do, we won't sit on that recording for two and a half, three months. I promise.
3: Here in the middle of our vast ocean is Atlantis, our mighty empire.
2: The mystery of a mother empire which stretched her civilization to both sides of the Atlantic has been the fascinating subject of thousands of books and millions of words of controversy by science, literature, and even today's headlines. Suddenly, you are living thousands of years ago in a civilization even more advanced scientifically than our own. We created wonders for the good of mankind, then turned
1: them into monsters.
2: Atlantis is the story of those who, like today, would use the marvels of science to conquer and enslave. Atlantis is also a fabulous adventure into the unknown. The story of a daring youth who risked the terror of uncharted seas for a beautiful girl.
3: Listen to my lips, Demetrius. They too whisper.
2: For even in those days, love wasn't too different than it is today. This, then, was Atlantis. Atlantis. A land of violent contrasts, amusing themselves at the expense of human agony, the terrible ordeals of fire and water. Atlantis, a world that worshipped strange gods of science, a science gone berserk in the dread house of fear. You will be a bull. Every day and every way, you will become more and more like one. A diabolical laboratory where humans were transformed into half men, half beasts. Atlantis, a land that harnessed the power of a volcano's fiery heart and learned to store the energy of the sun in giant crystals, then used them to create secret weapons whose disintegrating rays could destroy the rest of the world. Atlantis, a civilization that advanced too far until nature turned in cataclysmic revolt against an evil land in eye-staggering action that for bigness and excitement has never been equaled.
0: I wanted to take a moment to talk about Sean Hode. Now, Sean's been on the show before. He was on the Lovecraft Film Festival episode. He's a monster kid like us. He's a good guy. He's a writer. He's a friend. And he's got a project coming up through Kickstarter, the Tesla Trilogy. He's working on a trilogy of books featuring Nikola Tesla as the central character in these alternate history stories. Now, he's got three books in mind. I'd like to read the titles to you. Okay, you ready? Tesla and Darwin fight Edison's megalodons for the judicious use of time travel and giant robots. You like that? I I like it. I'm hooked. I mentioned the time travel thing. I'm there. The second book in the series, Tesla and Edison reluctantly join forces to oppose the order of the mystic eye, relying only on the finest scientific principles. It's a mouthful, but I'm hooked. And finally, Tesla and Nellie Bly face off against the evil mirror Tesla and his arc light of death by bending the very laws of nature. Okay, I'm hooked. I want to see these three books, and he's actually looking to put these together in a nice, full-sized, hardback, bound-edition... They look really cool. So go look up Sean Hode or the Tesla Trilogy on Kickstarter. Of course, there's going to be a link in the show notes. Also, stay tuned. I've been talking with Sean about having him come on the show to talk about the film The Bride of Frankenstein. So that'll be happening in the near future.
4: When worlds collide. Written in the stars is a message of doom for this, our world. And now in the most shattering experience the screen has ever given you... Paramount tells what could happen within your lifetime when worlds collide. An astronomer checks and double checks his horrifying discovery. A distant star racing through space toward an inevitable collision with this planet. The United Nations meet in emergency session. All conflicts pale before this threat from another world. If you wait until the danger is visible to the naked eye, it will be too late to escape. High on a mountaintop, an army of scientists work desperately to build this giant rocket. This modern Noah's Ark to carry a few picked survivors of our doomed civilization to a new life on another world, reaching the heights of self-sacrifice, the depths of the animal lust for survival as they fight to be among the few who can be saved. Let's take the ship away from them! Come on! Fighting among themselves, fighting against time as doomsday is upon them. I think all you scientists are crackpots. Nothing is going to happen. When worlds collide, you'll see the most amazing, awe-inspiring scenes ever put on film. The forces of nature unleashed in all their terrifying force. Tremendous tidal waves smashing New York City. The molten fires from the bowels of the earth gushing out to consume our world.
1: From a world beyond our own, come the forces of nature unleashed. Daikaiju Attack, the serialized giant monster story. Presented free every week on DaikaijuAttack.com and SDSullivan.com. Become a member of the Daikaiju Attack group on Facebook. Join the action today.
3: Done. just enjoy the fun. Meet laughing, light-hearted people to charm and amuse you, like Tom himself. A sensational portrayal by Russ Tamblin, the favorite young star whose magical proportions haven't diminished the rhythmic genius of his flashing feet. And there's popular Alan Young, Tom's buddy, and lovely June Thorburn, June can make herself disappear oh don't worry mom she does that all the time even the villains are breezy characters the international comedians Terry Thomas and Peter Sellers what should I do now shh tie the rope to one of those bags Uh, which one the biggest one Good good morning good morning I didn't know toys could talk and the live actors have to be on their toes to vie with the lovable, miraculous puppatoons created by Academy Award winner George Pal, featuring the Yawning Man, with the singing voice of Stan Friedberg. There's excitement and fun being like Tom Fum. You can even talk to horses. Stop! And a toy balloon is open sesame to see the world. But you can get into trouble, too. Yes, it's the wonderful world of Tom Thumb, ringing with modern melodies written by Peggy Lee and Fred Spielman.
0: To thank everybody for listening to this episode of Monster Kid Radio. Again, Christopher Page, thank you for being part of the show. And thank you, listeners, for downloading the show and making me part of your podcast diet. I love producing Monster Kid Radio. And if you want to know more about the podcast, head over to monsterkidradio.net. This is where you're going to find everything you need to know about Monster Kid Radio between episodes. Here you will find links to to our Facebook group our Patreon page where you can help support the show financially a little bit you can find a link to every single song that's appeared here on the show you can check out the amazing artwork by Shelby Denham she's the person behind this awesome logo that I'm using these days you can find out about her over at shelbydenham.daportfolio.com you can also find our contact information on our website our email address is monsterkidradio at gmail.com and our voicemail line is 503 479 That's 503-4795-MKR. Also, you'll find show notes to every single episode of Monster Kid Radio going all the way back to the very beginning. And in those show notes, you're going to find a video, a trailer of the movie we're going to talk about next week.
4: It looks innocent as a gigantic egg. But its unseen powers are so great that its worshippers beg the Thing's indulgence in self-abasing ceremonies.
0: Godzilla versus the Thing with special guest, returning special guest, Stephen d sullivan it's been a while since i've had steven on the show so it's going to be a lot of fun to have him on we'll probably talk a little manos because he's got the manos project but we'll also talk about this awesome kaiju film so that's coming up here next week on monster kid radio in episode 245 of course you can always find us on monsterkidradio.net itunes stitcher facebook twitter we even got an instagram so look us up pretty much everywhere you look thank you for listening again Ladies and gentlemen, remember Monster Kid Radio is a registered service mark of Monster Kid Radio, LLC. All original content of Monster Kid Radio by Monster Kid Radio, LLC, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution. Non-commercial, no derivatives, 3.0, unported license. Of course, that doesn't apply to the new song, Straight to Darkness, from the new EP, Boss Metal Zone. It's from the band Beware the Dangers of a Ghost Scorpion. Now, they gave us permission to play their music here on the show, and hey, they got a show coming up on November 24th. First, at the Paramount Center in Boston, Massachusetts. You can find out about that over on their Bandcamp page or just go to ghostscorpion.com. Let them know that Monster Kid Radio sent you. Talk to everybody here in seven days.